0: Cults, mind Control, Sexuality in Society. These are the topics for the Frankie Files. I also have periodic interviews of experts and survivors. Facing my own story by writing my memoir was the beginning of finding my voice. Well, I found it. I'll explore multiple writers and articles on these topics new each Tuesday. Listen in. Oh, and I promise not to waste your time. This is the conclusion of our live Reddit talks, which took place October, November, and December of 2022. Our guest today is Dr. Tamara MC, Ph.D. Find her at TamaraMC.com and on Twitter, TamaraMCPhD. Dr. Tamara is a freedom activist for girls and women worldwide. She's a social scientist and a linguist who explores how language is used to manipulate vulnerable populations. As a cult child marriage polygamy and modern-day slavery survivor advocate, themes in her work explore coercive control, intergenerational trauma, religion, spirituality, and mothering. She researches language, culture, and identity in the Middle East and beyond, specifically her hybrid identity of growing up simultaneously Jewish and Muslim. Although she was born to Holocaust survivor refugees and feels without home, she claims Lithuania and Belarus as her homelands. She's also traveled to 77 countries and counting, and makes the world her home. In America, she has roots in Arizona, Texas, and New York City. She's an empty nesting mama to two sons. She's a lifelong vegetarian and a lover of all sentient beings. I learned of Dr. Tamara through another sex cult child, Daniela Mastenik-Young, who recently published a memoir called Uncultured, you got to check that out. Dr. Tamara reviewed Daniela's book, and it was an amazing article, which we'll discuss in this talk. Her world presence on issues of systemic oppression of women, for me, makes Dr. Tamara an incredibly exciting guest, as my hope is that all we do on this show affects the upcoming generation of women to have a better life than we did. As two survivors, Dr. Tamara and I spoke for the first time in a live Reddit talk setting with a couple of questions from audience members. So join me in welcoming Dr. Tamara MC. The, the Frankie Files. Files. So you've been in this a while, you've been in this activism against being a child bride for some time. What's this like for you to? Uh, let's start with the article in the Ms. Magazine. What was the responses you got to this amazing piece of work? Because I was already like a fan of Daniela and had interviewed her, and your comparisons of your life and hers, though it's a different religious cult that you grew up in, were so similar. How did you all, you know, how did you decide to review her book?
1: Yes, actually, I am fairly new to all of this, or, or in terms of my becoming public, I only began to share my story in the past year to year and a half in one of my first articles. And I just turned 50 this year. And it is the first time that I've shared my story publicly. So it is very new to me. And I actually met wow. Daniela in a writing group, I believe we were in a writing group, and I learned of her memoir. And I was like, Oh, my goodness, I have to really do that. Mm -hmm. So I I asked for an ARC, which is an advanced reader copy, and she sent it to me. And then I just like took so many notes in the margins. I spent I spent Mm -hmm. a long time with her book, Mm -hmm. a couple of months just reading and taking notes and thinking about it and thinking about the similarities and the differences between our experiences.
0: Wow. And there were so many.
1: Yes. I mean, I do find that to be the case though. I just find yeah. that regardless of the religion or the yes. belief system, yes. the experiences are so similar, which is mm-hmm. shocking because like in the regular world, which I'm going to call it the regular world outside mm-hmm. of the cult,
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: nobody shares my experiences. I always feel like I'm like an mm-hmm. alien and I'm, I'm alone. And All then right. When I, then when I read somebody's story who's been in a cult or has been in a child marriage, I'm like, That's me. Everything sounds almost identical, which is really a crazy feeling.
0: Well, I have to tell you that um, (laughs) I I bumped into you on Twitter because I've been following Daniela through the year, through her whole process of releasing the book. And I got the ARC and I got the advanced copy. And I was the first, had the honor of being the first podcaster who'd read her book to interview her. And uh, when I read the book, you know, I cried <laughs> through the whole thing. I was crying for her, and I was crying for me, too, um, being a cold survivor. And I guess I bit off a little more than I could chew, because uh, she was my first interview. <laughs> so you talk about being new to this. This is also my first year doing so. I, I resonate with that. And it's oh, a that's... process, right?
1: Yeah, it is. Um but it just kind of feels that it builds. It's like I just find that one mm. little thing I do, it's like it opens up an opportunity for something else. And I meet mm-hmm. somebody new. So I'm really loving the snowball effect of it.
0: Me too, because just on responding to your article that she posted, there was also another child bride, um, Sarah Tasneem, that we had spoken to who was on responding to resonating with your article. So it's like, wow, this Speaking out, you know, it has so many purposes.
1: Yeah, it, and it's, it's really cool because I met Sarah Tas- Tasneem this this year as well, and we oh. became super close immediately. I love and... her.
0: <laughs> and love so you guys both. Become,
1: now we've become these, you know, like a little pot of like I don't know. We mm-hmm. we also share so many similarities. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think and I think that's like the joy is all of these new friendships that are just kind of opening up in such unexpected ways.
0: I have to agree. And I was really, really shocked because, like you said, about, um, you know, we're alone in our experience and in our survival until we meet people who've been through things like us. And when I was in this article, you know, um, excuse me, interview with Daniela in real time, which was um Not so public as ours here, but it it was it was shocking to me to resonate and to relate to. And in the book, too, I had not examined with great detail like she had my experience. And so we I feel we help each other as we speak out. Do you? Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I and I think I really like it because I share my experience with my community members, the other girls that were in my group. Mm-hmm. But again, that's like something so intimate and special that that only seems reserved for us, but then once I kind of left that and now yeah. I get to speak with you and Sarah and Danielle, like all these mm-hmm. different people It just opens it up to like this this new way. It's like it's like wow, there are people Mm. just like us all over the world, and I didn't even know that you all were there. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were alone in our little.
0: And your article is (laughs) scathingly informative to the public, Um, the specifically the one reviewing Daniel's book because you've got two people saying very very similar things like. You know, that these kind of religious abuse happen and these things are dangerous and that children shouldn't get married or be uh, thought of as sexual beings without, you know, having their childhood. And it's it's funny, like you're going direct. Uh, I saw that in your announcement in your bio on some of these articles, you say the, the name of the book, Child Bride. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I decided. Call I it mean, like it is. I mean, the publishers will probably change it. Who knows what will actually happen? But that mm-hmm. is, but if, you know, that is the title right now. I've. That's had, the desire. Yeah, I've had different titles. Um, our community was called House of Faith. Um, that was actually the translation mm. of it. So I do mm. have a book that is also called House of Faith, which is about like, which is just to think about faith in terms of all that was going mm. on within within the community, but yes. So I have actually like kind of the House of Faith book is more of like, an oral history from the different community members, like actually speaking about their experiences. It's Mm -hmm. much more looking at the community itself and much Mm -hmm. less of my story. And at first I wrote that book and I was, um, I actually went to Columbia university and I was in the creative writing program Mm. and I got accepted into this wonderful program in the journalism school. And while I was in there, I was like submitting my pages and everybody was like, wait, we want to know your story. And that was like, (laughs) and that was like four or five years ago and I had never even thought of telling mm. my story I just was always like so interested in everybody else's story in my community right and then I right and then I started telling my story which I never planned to do it was never something I thought I would do I didn't even really think I had a story which is so I interesting to say
0: <laughs> I hear you I hear you the thank, the you, thank you file, file. That's exactly what I thought. And timeline wise, I'm also early 50s. So this is kind of fascinating to me. Um, like I, my cult was in the 70s and I left in 87. So I was from 8 to 22 just for a timeline for your reference. And so I wasn't born in, you know, I also was not technically married, though I was paired with upper clergy and, you know, also made to service them, et cetera. So I had the sexual element, the child sexual abuse element, and teen and adult. And so it's just sad how many of us had that. It's like, um, cults are like this, you know, machine that just grinds people in and out. Toss them away and get another one. It's shocking to me how many people have these experiences.
1: Yeah, I've never thought of it as a machine in that way, but.
0: but Sort of like a meat grinder.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, but I feel yeah. like it's a circle and it seems like and this is not a scientific study, but it seems like it's about 10 years of free labor and other financial abuse, everything, family separation and trafficking. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's get as much as we can out of this person, extract time, energy, labor, etc and move them on <laughs> next ride, right, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess that that's kind of be. intense. I mean, especially like, I think when somebody comes in, they're just so starry eyed and they're,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, mean, I, I knew I was willing to do anything for so right? many years, but wow. maybe there is kind of this point in time where it's like your eyes start opening a little bit and you're start, something like, Hmm, something's not quite right about this. And maybe now, it's about we- that time where the, like, like people are replaced in a way.
0: Cause you know, we start to, to question, but I did want to get specific here. What is the age you had contact with your cult? Were you born in? And what generation, if so?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think I think we're quite similar. My father mm. joined when I was five years old.
2: Oh, okay. um,
1: so pretty much I don't have a lot a lot of memories of my life before. Mm -hmm. So most, I just, most of my life, I remember being in the Mm cult and I, I don't think, I I don't think anybody, I I know I, I still haven't even left my cult. I wish I could, like, I wish emotionally, mentally, I could be like 100% gone, but I'm not, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's still there. And my father's still part of it. My family members are still part of it. So it's still in my life. It's not as if my family left. And therefore mm-hmm. it's like, there's this clear break. It's like, mm-hmm. if I talk to my dad, I still hear all the same rhetoric. If I talk to oh. anybody in my family, it's still all there. It hasn't changed. Nothing has changed.
0: Oh, I'm so, so sorry to yeah, hear that. So it's,
1: so it's really hard in that way to say that, but I officially left the cult leader and my marriage when I was 20 years old, like that okay. was kind of the breakoff point. So our, so I our years you. are actually almost identical. It's true. So it, it's true. it was in the 70s. It was in the 70s. Okay. My father joined in 1977.
0: See, similar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like very, uh, the thing to do also is join a, a commune or, um, uh, you know, religious sect. I mean, mine was New Agey, Middle Eastern um in yours. And you're also a linguist. So I I was on my to-do list to talk to you about that. Um, You're a Middle East linguist. Is that the correct terminology?
1: Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. So I'm a Middle Eastern studies scholar. So my bachelor's, Uh I studied Middle Eastern history and politics. Uh Uh I studied language. I studied Arabic. I went to Cairo and studied at the American University in Cairo. Wow. and then I went on in my masters, and I did a lot. My masters as well. I did a lot of coursework, and then my PhD. I have my my minor is in Middle Eastern and North African studies.
0: Oh my lord! You've been around those places, then.
1: Yes, yes. I've traveled. Oh I've done God. extensive research. Um, it's just always been an area I've been interested in. Okay. So it's something that I've been studying most of my life.
0: Wow, it's um, a lot to to bring together because you with your studies in language and with your studies um, being focused in so many in such a wide net that must really be amazing because I know I love digging into why do cults happen how do cults happen and what type of environment allows it and it's just so many different environments allow it across the world right yeah that's
1: interesting but I think, there, I think there's still so many similarities, such as isolation. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think, you know, cults Correct. can only breed in a certain environment. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So so mm-hmm. even now, like, I'm I'm watching Sister Wives. I just finished the 17th season. I don't know if you've watched that at all. Ooh, um, no. It's about a polygamist, a po- you know, a polygamist. I'll call it a cult, although that's not necessarily what other people would call it. Okay. Um, but but it's about, you know, these, I'm these writing five, this down. yeah, it's, it's four women and they're all married to the same men. And in my cult, we were also a polygamous cult. So I'm very interested in polygamy. And so I'm writing a couple articles on polygamy wow. that are going to be coming up soon.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, but yeah, it's just, again, it's like, I just see their lives and it's almost, you know, they're always in these houses kind of, you know, uh-huh. outside of town and they're alone and it's just, right. there's so many similarities.
0: There was recently a bust um, of FLDS trailer of un, um, underage wives. A trailer was discovered. They were, they were running from one state to another. It's like, why would you need a group of underage wives? I've always been, I, I said this to Sarah, guys can't handle one woman. Why do you need 12? What is the yeah. deal? <laughs> what, you know? So anyway, um, yeah. Well, I think okay.
1: a lot of these are like building a kingdom, like like building these right. groups that can then get to heaven, and it's like this right. whole. Ours wasn't like that at all. We didn't think like that, but okay. So many. What of these did they groups... think
0: like? What was the the doctrine generally?
1: Um. What aspect?
0: When you well, I mean, them, um, example. Mine was new age religion. Um, a leader, the leader was female forced polygamy for me was female, um, to the upper clergy. So, you know, like they work it into whatever they want. I'll tell you, um, the, the, the doctrine itself was like a lot of, um, Jesus, Buddha and Gandhi, and then all the astrology numerology stuff that was new agey, you know, so huge, but I still see going on today. Um, but the sect itself was non-denominational quote marks. And, and so with it, with yours being a religious sect, um, no need to discuss the details that aren't, you know, something you want to discuss, but it's, I imagine it's a lot of prayer, a lot of discipline, perhaps meat, you know, like, um, like for me, meal planning and, and control, sleep deprivation, a lot of labor as well. For me. Is this the type of things that went on for you? What were your activities like?
1: Um, Yes, absolutely. Um, First of all, there were no activities. I mean, in terms Mm. of child activities or fun activities or anything Uh like that, we were completely I mean, I was a workhorse from the time I was a tiny Mm. child. Mm. Um. The children did not go to school. Uh, There was like supposedly homeschooling, but that was Uh only when the women felt like, okay, maybe we'll teach today. And usually teaching today Um, was like pulling out a workbook and then the kids wouldn't do their work and then the kids would get beat. And so it was just like this horrible cycle. Like there was absolutely nothing about learning that came out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but but I think very similarly, lots of prayer, prayer all day long, prayer most uh-huh. of the night, um, mm-hmm. sleep deprivation for sure. Like, as mm-hmm. children, we weren't able to go to, like, we'd have these all-night chanting sessions where we'd be up and we'd have to mm. sit up for hours and hours. And then we always had to get up super early and pray and then just begin cooking and cleaning, making the breakfast, cleaning the breakfast dishes, right. then cleaning then getting ready for lunch and lunch dishes it was just and that
0: sounds familiar to me yeah. yeah
1: it was just from one meal to the next and prayer and uh-huh. watching and watching the little kids
0: same and we did I had about 300 people that I would have to help feed like on a constant basis and then when they well now all went home there's the clergy to feed so there was no mercy <laughs> there's like six people I had to serve yeah they just turn us into little workhorses don't they right childhood be damned okay okay so that's in that was in the united states am i correct yes yes okay got you well you said it's new but your articles the tone is amazing um so clearly this has been some type of literature that you've been working on before being published in the articles
1: Well, it's like, I guess during my PhD work, I was always doing research. And so Mm -hmm. it's something I've always been researching. I've been internalizing. I've been asking questions. I've been trying to figure out what happened. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, it's just been this continuous. So it's it was new in terms of me sharing it with the public, but it was not new with me as an individual.
0: Same. Same, because it's so funny um, how... I don't quite understand this yet, but so many of us have awareness in our 40s and 50s and it's 20 to 30 years after any trauma in the religious cult or a cult or another situation. But it's like this delay. And I know in psychology they call it um, repressed memory or something like that. But it's so real. Like, I just remember... It hit me, and I'm like, I cannot not talk to this anymore. It's over for us. <laughs> it's, it's it's like that when you get to that point, it's not a negotiation. That's how I felt. Like, I have to find a way to start talking about this. And obviously, you got to that point a while ago. It seemed like um, some of the articles you shared with me were back to 2021 or 20. I think 2021. Yeah. yeah, So
1: like a year to year and a half ago. Nice. Think, was my first time. Um,
0: You're yeah. coming out strong. I love it.
1: <laughs> no, I guess so. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think there is a point where holding the secret is more work than telling yes. the secret. And it's kind of like that. It just kind of the balance switches, like (laughs) holding the secret was like, there's not, there was no other choice. I had to, it was like, it was so Mm -hmm. heavy. But then Mm -hmm. I think that heaviness just weighed and weighed and weighed that it was like, okay, I can protect the secret Mm -hmm. and like save the secret or I can save myself. And at at Mm -hmm. this point it's like the choice, it has to be the self at this point, because I've already tried to do this other thing for Mm -hmm. so many years and it's not getting better. I mean, it's it's not getting lighter my load's not getting lighter i'm not magically right. forgetting it's not going away no nope. so, okay so what's a new way to deal with this because i've already tried this for so long and it hasn't worked so yeah. now what can i do and it's yeah. not even it's, it's like your body just gets to this point where it's like no nope, i can't hold it anymore no, I no agree. longer the,
0: the thank you, File. file. i uh, my analogy is it's like having a bullet that's lodged in the body that if it moves a certain way it could open an artery or hurt you or it all co- it could be leaking lead into the blood slowly and eventually we come to that point where it needs to come out you know i'm glad you did you know i'm glad you you did so you peel back the layers
1: and well, of course, with... there's always so many more layers. It's not like...
0: <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, it's just like there's so many layers. It's like, okay, I peel this one back. <clears throat> okay, no. Oh, wow. I didn't know that was there.
0: Agreed. <laughs> and for me, it has been a really slow process of finding out what triggers me, too. Once I finally decided to confront what triggers me, um, then I could deal with that. So when... I'm in a situation was like, you know what? That's weird. Okay. Now I know there's a memory attached to rice or whatever. And, but I, I was gagging on rice every time I would eat it. And, mm. and I was like, what's wrong? Like, it would be caught in my nose and I would have to, you know, all this strange stuff would happen. Like, so not sure if you've read this amazing book, because he really goes where you just, we're going to great depths. Um, Dr. Gabor Mate is a mm-hmm. physical doctor. And he started asking people, did you also experience some trauma in this area of your body where you're having problems? And it was like 99.9% they would say yes. And he's now making that connection in his new book is really great. Um, the New Normal, something to that name, I, I forget, but it's a bright orange color. Really great book. And in it These connections, it's not like saying, oh, well, it's your fault. Mentally, you brought on this. No, he's saying that trauma has a way to manifest itself. Like you said, it has to go somewhere. His theory is that it causes an inflammation, stress, inflammation reaction in the body that causes multiple autoimmune disorders and other disorders. And it's such an interesting connection, just simply recognizing that stress Stress, long term, is causing ailments, mental and physical ailments. So, yeah, um, I bet you feel better just generally like I do.
1: Um, I don't know, actually. I feel like okay. less better in many ways because... I think before I could just kind of keep my little secret and go on with my life and it was just like honky dory in a way and it's like nobody knew who I was mm-hmm. and that's nice to kind of be camouflaged.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: there is something to becoming public and to people knowing your story and that has its whole own side to it.
0: But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm getting that I, too.
1: <laughs> but I do feel very much... I mean, I think both, 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 both me's are me. Like I was like the part of me that was all like, I was always very happy. Like if you were to kind of Mm. see photos of me, like when I was part of this community, I was always happy and smiling and laughing. And you Mm -hmm. wouldn't even know that there was something going on with me because I was genuinely those things. I was just a very
2: compliant
1: Mm -hmm. person that just wanted to do the right thing and make people happy. So that part of me, I kind of actually grieve and I mourn because now I'm a much more cynical <laughs> and jaded and like yeah. critical. And, and I just, <laughs> I, it's, it's not as easy being kind of yeah. this way as it, as it was when I was kind of in a way blinded to so many things.
0: Mm-hmm. It's comfortable because we don't have to deal with that wound that raw wound, it's like, well, just keep it covered up, you know? I understand. Mm -hmm. I do understand. Mm -hmm. But I've got to applaud you. I've just got to applaud you for your scathing words and your articulation. It's like, this is the voices I want to represent cult kids. Mm. I applaud you. I applaud you. I'm just like, oh, another Daniela. Whole different level. Yes. (laughs) yeah so
1: and going going back to your food thing, it's yeah. I've been having major food aversions in oh. the past year and a half. So See. I basically sat down. What was it? like two and a half years ago, I sat down and I wrote my whole story out for the first time in its entirety. Okay. Okay. And it is close to four hundred thousand <gasps> words, which is the equivalent of four plus novels. Like uh, a crazy. long novel is a hundred thousand words.
0: And it so is. Mine's this... 70,000. <laughs> 400K? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a lot. I don't even okay. know. It's 12, maybe in pages that's like 1,300 pages. It might have to be a series. Uh, yeah, it, series. Could be. it could It yeah. could be,
0: Wow. I, I don't know.
1: But when I okay. wrote out the whole entire story was yeah. after I put that onto paper I could not ignore it anymore. Right. There was no turning back. That was That's amazing. how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, the thing where it was like, it was like, this is I'm passing through a threshold now through a uh-huh. new portal. And there is no going back. There is oh no entry back to the world before. This is a whole new world because now it was in writing and it was something tangible. And I could look at it on my screen. I could print it out. And I was like, And every time I looked at that, nope, this is the truth. This is what happened. Mm -hmm. And when I had to come up and butt up against that, that I knew was my life. And so there was no more playing happy and playing. Mm -hmm. And not that I was even playing happy. I was genuinely happy in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But yeah, but just to kind of step back and really look at my life. But since then, going back to the food aversions, I have had so many food aversions in the past I don't even know, like you mentioned rice, like I can't even mm-hmm. eat garlic and ginger because everything mm-hmm. always had garlic and ginger and spices Right. as like now all of my food, I don't put any spice on. I don't like, I've become so bland and I was like always the spiciest person and mm-hmm. there's so many textures I can't eat, like right. in our community. Um right one of the only things that, that we were given to eat was oatmeal and there was oatmeal with nothing on it. It was just like oh. plain oatmeal and water. Oh God. And it was just,
0: and that. I've done that a lot when I was in college. That's gross. I've done it a lot. I had to make sure it had the brown sugar pack.
1: <laughs> no, cause we weren't ooh, allowed to have any sugar. I we imagine. weren't allowed to have anything. And mm. so that was kind of our breakfast. For like my entire childhood, like that was all we ever had. Awful. So now it's like, like since then, it's like you know everybody thinks oatmeal is so wonderful and they eat it for breakfast, and I'm always like, no oatmeal. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Give me slimy oatmeal, whatever you do.
0: (laughs) It's funny because I'm going to be dealing with this in season two, food aversion and food deprivation that we experience, and it is so. Um, such a minefield, isn't it? I mean, because like when I think about all, they, they have a saying, Dr. Tamara. Mm-hmm. The saying I heard in psychology is that neurons that fire together wire together. That's true. And so I, this co leader, programmed me with a bunch of sexuality attached to food Mm -hmm. she was she was all about it and in films you know messaging and stuff like that so so it's really strange um to as you as you have just articulated you know you go through one by one and start saying well I can't eat that anymore like this is a full-on trigger this is not going to happen I don't like this food and I won't be just the smell of the food sometimes I'm like, I need to get out of this room. It'll trigger me. And and that's so ironic because I, I became a waitress for like decades after I left this cult. And I was triggering myself so much and I didn't even know it. Um, sometimes, as you know, there's not a solution. You should have to change environments, give yourself a break. Um, don't overwhelm your senses with the things that upset you, et cetera, you know give yourself that 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 space but this is a fascinating topic there's a lot no, to it there. really is
1: but now at this point I have like a handful of foods I can eat like mm-hmm. food <laughs> is really turned into an issue
0: Dang.
1: <laughs> like I don't like the texture I don't like the mm-hmm. smell I don't like it's just like and I used to like love oh that's the other thing because I cooked mm-hmm. for so many years like cooking was love to me and I just mm-hmm. always cooked and everybody always came to me because I was like the best cook and mm. just everybody loved my food. And so I always received so much attention because I was the cook. Mm. Um, but now, oh, my goodness, when I have to cook, I'm like, I do not enjoy it at all. That mm. is my biggest trigger is cooking.
0: Damn. Yeah. That's brutal <laughs> to take that away. Your love of and, and I feel the same about I was a so I can I can note an equivalent for me um I was a cook and a server in there but more than that my job my real identity in this cult was musician Uh, my Mm. sister and I were a duet and we would play music for the special services and whatnot anything that sounded like the music in the cult I was like I'm gonna be all reggae all the time (laughs) right (laughs) I switched to reggae because it was so different from what I experienced like yeah exactly total black culture and
1: yeah I think like I mean I haven't done it in years but like kind of after I got out maybe like five ten years later like we weren't allowed to have fast food or anything like that Mm -hmm. it was always like brown rice and lentils and oatmeal and so I went through this stage where I would just go to McDonald's and get (laughs) french fries And I'm a vegetarian and I'm still, so I never get like a hamburger, but I'd just be like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat McDonald's French fries. I'm (laughs) greasy.
0: I'm living large.
1: No, but they tasted so different than anything I tasted that there was no memory attached to them. The the French fries were so healing because I could just eat them and be like my own person. Like this is me Mm -hmm. now and I can eat French fries.
0: It's true. Like we literally looking for an experience that doesn't encompass the trauma, just right. doesn't surround us with PTSD. <laughs> just, right. Yeah. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Simple so things. That makes sense.
0: Well, I mean, like you, I've found a lot of relief in writing. Um,
1: okay.
0: You know, uh, but it wasn't until 2021 that I wrote my story in full. One, uh, you know, full on, several months stretch and I got only to 60,000 words. Um, So I know there's more, but God, what, what uh, were your main topics? When you wrote 400,000 words about your experience, were you going like um, timeline? How did you approach that?
1: Um, In that version, it was pretty chronological. And it kind of started when my dad joined, but yeah. we were very nomadic for a while. So we traveled to different places. So <sighs> I felt like I had to like describe each setting because they were all so very different. And then the people, and I like, i have mm. always like, I've never really focused on me. Like I think I said in the beginning, I've always loved other people's stories and I've always learned everybody else's stories. Mm. So I think like in the beginning, I was like telling so many people stories as well. Like, like their background or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not, not ever using their names, but just like, cause I was always so interested in like, how did this person get to the cult? Like how, mm-hmm. like, what was their trajectory? Um, but, but really it was just, but then it was just kind of like all these different experiences and they just, it took up that much space mm-hmm. and like what I need to go back and do, which I did not do. Is I really didn't talk about my feelings. And that was a lot of the feedback. It's like, but how are you feeling?
0: Then, Mine's like, nothing but one raw emotion. I didn't oh really? care about anybody. Yeah. It's just like, I felt like I had to get the sequence for me, like the, what happened. Yeah. So, so will you be taking that and extracting your story that you wrote in there?
1: Yeah, actually no. I mean, this four hundred thousand words is my story. I have a whole, like I think I said, I have a Uh whole other book or two that is uh, that are other people's stories. But like, I would go into like the background of some of the leaders in this version, which I'm not gonna do. I'll do it very briefly. You know, Uh I actually Uh do publish, but then I can write other articles, which I've learned that are separate, and so I can still. talk about everything but they don't have to be in this one memoir this one memoir cannot contain it all
0: agreed and I and I made sure like I was just my first um book effort so I made sure to create some kind of timeline you know so I could stay on on task because I think you know uh you start writing and and it's so like intriguing to go on side shoots and stuff like because there was in yours, how many people is the membership was, I should say?
1: Yeah, so that's a hard question. But I'd say maybe at its max 150, maybe, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe closer to 120, 130. I'm not exactly sure. But a lot of the time, it was much smaller, like 30, Mm -hmm. 40. Wow. Um, So yeah, so it kind of It Mm -hmm. it was always ebbing and flowing. Nothing was ever the same, ever.
0: (laughs) Super nomadic,
1: huh? Yeah. I mean, I I guess not nothing. There were many things that always stayed the same, but there were also differences, like very unpredictable in so many ways.
0: Well, what would um, cause the nomadic group to move? Probably they
1: were being kicked out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yep, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> you did something wrong. Yeah, <laughs> didn't I mean, like their behavior or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean it would just happen overnight, like, okay, yeah. you gotta go.
0: It, it it's it's just... so similar to Daniela's story.
1: <laughs> right.
0: She had that yeah. like we're talking multiple countries.
1: Wow. Yeah, there were lots of countries involved with us as well. Wow. Multiple countries. Um, so nice. yes. Um but you know, that's was, hard as a kid. Yeah. And I mean, if, as a kid, I didn't know what was happening. Sure. Like, I did not understand. Right. Now, of course I can, or, or I mean, not even now, but even later I could understand a lot more,
0: but it's sort of time, like me. Cause like you left at 20. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're starting to, your brain is finishing forming and then you hit the world and like, what just happened to me? what this is different. (laughs) They're not eating rice and oatmeal only. What a shock, right?
1: Yeah, but I didn't even investigate it then necessarily. Like I was like, okay, something happened. But I ended up getting married within a couple years to somebody else. And ended up having babies like within a year after the marriage. And then my mm-hmm. children were my life for the next 20 years. Right. So I never once was able to think about me and my past. It then just became my children. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't think that I, I never, it tw- like I don't feel like I left it to, tw- I mean, I left, but it's like, mm-hmm. I didn't deal with anything.
0: Right. I'm with you. That's exactly what I did. I went into straight into alcoholism okay yeah i was like i've i didn't know what to do with all the unresolved answers i would call it you know like for one how do i fit into this world i just left this is very different you know And it's a shock it's a bit of a shock okay so when you left you got married within a couple of years wow that's a whole new life And of course, moms, this is the thing about women in society, isn't it? Like, when is it your turn? You were taking care of everyone else. So just the idea of you taking and examining what you went through to help other women, you know, again, with the kudos, that's the activism that makes me want to have these conversations with people like yourself. Because what if a woman could, a young girl, could be prevented from having these experiences?
1: The Frankie Files. I feel like for a girl to be in a similar situation as perhaps we were in the 70s, I just Mm -hmm. don't think that that can happen again in the same way. Um, Mm. I just know at that time, like when I was kind of closed behind these walls and gates, Like there was no internet, there was nothing like Mm -hmm. I there were no cell phones, and I was just completely stuck. And we didn't have televisions or books or anything. No. But now I think it would be a lot more different, because almost everybody has a cell phone. I mean, not everybody, but but with Wi Fi and Mm -hmm. cell phones and access to information. I think that a girl having like such an extreme sort of I mean, it still happens. I'm not saying yeah. it doesn't, but I Understood. think it's, it's. I think it's just thank goodness that there are other options now for girls that they can find resources mm-hmm. hopefully if they need them in an easier way, even by listening to us speak. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way in the '70s or in the '80s I could have been there and like listened to a <laughs> podcast.
0: That's what I've been saying. Like <laughs> recently, there was no podcast to chill out to and go. I hmm, wonder why I'm so nervous all the time. Why am I having this fear? Let's start an introspection? <laughs> Didn't exist. Right. Didn't right. exist. Yeah. The exactly. resources are, are tremendous, but also I still feel, and I was talking to Tabby Chapman about this, that this is elevating the message. It's not out yet. You know, we might we might stop one or two people from joining a cult or their parents from um, giving them up to the cult. But it's like the idea that stupid people join cults is still so prevalent and oh, so yes. disturbing. That's true. And it's so wrong. It's almost mm-hmm. like the exact opposite. They don't want stupid people. They want people who are highly obedient and intelligent. Not What's necessarily this, I... obedient. huh?
1: I just read that actually people that join cults have like advanced degrees, like they're super <sighs> educated. <laughs>
0: so. That's who they're targeting. Is <laughs> yeah, this 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 um fallacy is so wrong, isn't it? Way yeah. off.
1: <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> But like going back to kind of what you said, I mean, I guess you're right, like somebody in my situation that probably it would be more difficult. Although there are so many girls like in different communities that are still being Mm -hmm. held hostage like that. But I think people are joining different types of cults, not not in the same restricted way as like you're isolated and you're on this compound and you can't get out. Mm -hmm. But like, even on the internet and in groups like there's so a many lot. different belief systems that people mm-hmm. are joining that are actually using cultic thinking to lead. Yes. Them. So I think in that way, it's becoming a lot more prevalent.
0: And what groups do you see that happening with? Cause I also see that.
1: Oh, let's see. I don't know. There's just so many new agey groups still. I think yeah. health groups, mm-hmm. weight loss groups. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um, I don't know. Did you watch Lulu Row, the documentary?
0: No, actually. Oh, that's one I missed. I got another one to write down. Thank <laughs> you. Because that's yeah. a that was a workout clothing, turn cult. Yeah,
1: it was like a okay clothing. Yeah, but I, and yeah. I'm not saying that these are the same. And to use the word cult is like that's a I very understand. loaded word. Word. It is. It and is. so I, I am careful on how I use that because I don't mm-hmm. feel as if these things are in the same way like how I grew up. Because if you look at the definition of a cult or, or what it used to be, it really is something that's isolated with a leader yeah. and, you know, so, so, I mean, these are different, so I'm not going to claim them as being so, but I think that people just want to believe in something. They want better lives right. for themselves mm-hmm. and they think that a person can help them solve their life and give them the answers and like, yes. there's this one person in the world and, that just is not the case.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because that magical thinking, you know, I was stuck with that when I left. And I would go from one thing to the next, trying to say, well, this is what will solve everything. No, this is what will solve everything. <laughs> right. No, none of it. This man will solve everything, this new job. And now I'm critical of belief systems, all belief systems. Now that's what I've been left with. It's like, I will question every belief system that I see in front of me. There is no acceptance for me, uh, automatic acceptance of groups, but that's just where I'm at. You know, it's been a, a process, but I nice. also wanted to go back to once you, once you talked about once you wrote your story, whether it's for publication or not, there was a turning point Where you realize it did happen. It's not just in your head and in some wavy memories. Oh, you know, this is in concrete now. Like, this is real. I was trafficked. I was this. I was that. You know, that alone is a step I'm encouraging people to try to do. Write a timeline. Anything. I've found it shockingly amazing for myself. Right. Yeah, it is a turning point.
1: Definitely like, helpful. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it was never that I didn't know that these things happen. I think I didn't have, I first of all, I didn't even have the vocabulary. Like I didn't even know there was a word called, I didn't even know what trafficking meant mm. until I wrote down my story. And then I was like looking at all the work I did and everything that happened. And then then I was like, what is this? And then I just started research. I hadn't heard of the word modern day slavery before that. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I had not heard of these words. I hadn't even heard of forced marriage until then. Mm Because it was after I put out my story and I was like, okay, I just started researching. And then I was like, wow, that's exactly what happened to me. But I didn't Mm -hmm. have the vocabulary for it. I I didn't know. know what the words meant.
0: Did you think, well, I was married young or, you know, it wasn't normal or something like that or just like,
1: it was normal for you. It seemed normal because all the, most of the girls in the community were married by 14. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all of my sisters, like Mm -hmm. not my blood sisters, but my commune sisters, they Mm -hmm. were all getting married and they were my best friends. And so we were all in it together that it didn't seem everybody was unhappy and complained and like horrific stories, but it's like, there was, but there wasn't something else. So that was our world. Yeah. So I I guess it just didn't, it didn't like, yeah.
0: And we can, I think maybe we're the exception. Like there's people who go their whole life and never examine what happened. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I
0: don't, I I'm so fascinated. I was hoping, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happens to trigger that. But for me, I was 40 something in Vegas. So this would have been 20, let's see, 14. And my mom is living in Vegas too. And I just one day I was like, I can't go another day without telling her what happened to me and my sister. She didn't know. Wow. And there was, yeah, sexual abuse. So in the cult. So it is astonishing to me that we can live most of our lives and then all of a sudden snap out of it and go, wait a minute. I gotta get this out. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I, I guess I, I'm, I'm very thankful that I reached that point, but I also don't understand how I reached that point, but it was painful. Yeah. Do you, do you know why you reached that point? I think there's
1: various reasons. I think I was finally at a point where I could, my children were grown and they're doing well and they're happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm just in a place like where other people don't need me. So it's the first time in my life where somebody where I haven't had Mm. other responsibilities on me. And so, because suddenly I was like, okay, I'm an empty nester now. Mm-hmm. And here I am, and I'm alone, and okay, well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I guess it's the time. <laughs> of
2: mm-hmm. course, it wasn't
1: like I said, This is the time. It's like mm-hmm. my body was like, This is the time.
0: Yeah, see, <laughs> yeah. that's what I mean. The, the Frankie, Frankie files. files. It, it's yeah. like physiological, and this is where the Gabor Maté book comes in, M-A-T-E, spelling, um, because he he really is talking about how it goes somewhere and it goes into the body. When we have trauma and we have things we don't understand and we hide them away, um, it goes somewhere. It goes into the body. And then when we get to address that, it starts coming out. So there's something to that, but not quite sure for me what triggered it either. But it was like um, unavoidable. And then you'd I'll be damned if I didn't say I'm going to write my story and then seven years later I wrote it. It was like obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. It was so terrible. So it's a good thing to 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 get to that point. Um so I do I do I do assume we have a little less viewership than normal because of the holidays. However, I want to find out what you'd like to leave our viewers, our listeners with. This will be a full episode on Frankie Files podcast. So no worries. Um, tell me what is your main message to the world? Now you've been a, a writer on this topic. You're going to release your memoir. What's the thing you really want to get across?
1: Um, I think that all of us, like when something's happening to us, we know when it's not right. Like when something's not right, we know it in our bodies. And maybe it's just this tiny, tiny feeling. And I think so often we fight that feeling and we fight ourselves and we're like, Oh no, it's fine. It's nothing. And we talk ourselves out of it. But I know that whenever I've had that little feeling, I've always been right. And I really believe in trusting our guts. Like whenever something isn't feeling right, no matter what our mind is trying to make it better about, it's not right. And Mm -hmm. so just to trust that part in ourselves, because that part is always going to be right. And even though we can have all these outside forces and all these parents, perhaps teachers, Mm. friends, so-called, whatever it is out there telling us things and we know when somebody says something, whether or not it resonates and Mm -hmm. whenever something doesn't resonate, whenever a teaching, a conversation, something doesn't work, just let it go because it's not ours to keep and Mm -hmm. just holding so true to that and knowing that we're never wrong and that Mm. we all have the right to freedom and we all have the right to love and to joy and, if anybody ever tells us differently, that's not true. Mm -hmm. That is not true. Life is not just about hardship and work and doing all these things, which is part of that. But in the society I was brought up in, that was my only destiny Mm -hmm. was to be a worker, a religious girl, a wife, a mother, all of these things. But there wasn't joy within those. It was just these roles, and I had to follow them and become them and do them. But but within that, it's like there is time for hobbies. Like I didn't have hobbies. Like like there are mm-hmm. time for for all these little joyful moments in life, which I think are so important.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Wow. Excellent words of wisdom there. Because we definitely didn't weren't allowed as well to have any personal um, behavior, any hobbies, any personal interests, anything that didn't serve the group right that moment you know well, where can we find you? I know you're hot on the op-ed circuit. you're writing a lot of wonderful scathing I want to frame them you know, I'm printing some of this stuff out. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. It's like, first of all, the feminism angle, you know, people forget that a lot of this stuff happens to women because a lot of men are in charge of churches. So often the severity can be, you know, land on women
1: and and young children. Yes. Yes. That's what I have found as well. So that's Mm -hmm. why I joined. Yeah. I didn't know if there were any. Are there questions in the reddit? I'll go ahead
0: and let empty on how are you and what questions do you have for dr. Tamara
2: good morning um or good evening I should say uh, <laughs> I, I just popped in and I, I have been in this talk before I listened to the pod um, and I love your you guys' work so oh, thank you my question for you tonight though is regarding um How did you find a sense of spirituality once you left, you know, your cult? My father joined
1: when I was five, but I always felt very spiritual. And actually, the community I was part of, the cult community I was part of, it was also very spiritual. And I think, like, whatever was always me is still me. Like, I feel like that kernel has always been with me. And that spirituality and my belief has always been there. And it's not, it was never linked to the group or to the community, but it was just mine. So I guess that in a way it wasn't severed because I didn't ever break that belief. It's always been me. Like the me that was there before is still the me now. I still, in so many ways, feel the same way and think the same way. And so my spirituality has always been strong. I don't have like the same, I used to have a huge fear of hell like, because our whole community was every moment, like, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. But I never quite understood that. Like, I was so fearful of hell. I'm no longer fearful of hell. Like, I just like know my insides. And if there is a hell, which I don't even know, I'm not even going to go into that right now. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going there. I just don't think Mm -hmm. I'm a person that's going to be going to hell if there is one. Mm -hmm. So I guess I my <laughs> my belief is like unstoppable. It's like, it's there. And it's like, it can't even it's so firm. And so I guess that, that that's a part that is always like, I really loved and it's not even like, like, there's this, this belief in this grand God or this leader or anything. It's just in me, like, like, it's there, like, I'm, it's foolproof.
0: Mm. Nice.
1: I don't know if that answers your question, but if uh, you no, thank you. I
2: think I have a better understanding now. So that I guess um, if you guys don't mind, like one more question um, yeah. regarding, but there is a sense of being taught, especially as a woman passive behavior, like you are. Mm-hmm kind of navigating space with other people, almost dull, like other people making and informing you on what your decision should be. And I was wondering how, once you know, uh, came into your own, how do you kind of establish those boundaries and that comfortability with like setting that those boundaries?
1: So, boundaries are what I've always struggled with and only really in the past couple of years am I really learning about my boundaries more. And it's just hard. Like I just grew up in a group where I did everything for everybody. And that was my role. And so I brought that into my motherhood. I was just a full hands on mother. Everything in my life is always like, how can I help somebody? How can I give? But now I'm like at this stage where it's like, I don't even have that energy to give anymore. So now it's like, it's not even a choice. I have to take care of myself because I am at this point where there's nobody else taking care of me. So Mm -hmm. if I don't take care of myself, there's nobody that's going to take care of me. And so to kind of get to that point where you've given, 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 but -hmm. then you get to this this stage in life and it's like, wait a sec, where are all those people now? (laughs) And so I just think like realizing that like, there's going to be so many chapters in life and just the one constant is going to be ourselves. And every decision we make that is good for us is good for all. And to just hmm. keep that in the back of our mind, that mm-hmm. whatever is the best decision for me, even though it doesn't appear to be the best decision for others, it's always going to be the best decision for others. So not even to question that.
0: Nice. That whole self care thing—that's tough for us. We were taught to ignore all that. So yeah.
1: I don't even. I'm still like I work so hard. I'm an overworker. Like I me still too. like have. I still have all of that. Yeah, But yeah, yeah, I just think it's like taking time and space and stepping back from so many relationships and just taking a break from like all the different relationships in our lives that really aren't working and just, and it doesn't even have to be forever, just like taking the time out. And I think when we take time away, we have time to be separate and to really look at the like all of the routines that we've been in in that relationship and to rethink them and to see where our boundaries have been crossed and where we're not comfortable and what we're willing to do and not willing to do. So I think that's really helpful.
2: Very. Thank you so much. I, I so appreciate that. Um, I'm going to move back to Mistener, but I appreciate well, thank your you. Words.
0: Thank you, Empty. Good, good, good excellent questions because boundaries if you're a young person when your boundaries are uh pierced whatever the words um you know or ignored it's like we never got to learn boundaries or what they are (laughs) even exactly what's a boundary
1: (laughs) i know i don't even i don't yeah i think that is super
0: i remember i had this um, a lot of experience in, in a work environment This woman was verbally abusing me And it was triggering The hell out of me And I went to this Counselor And I said that And, and then he just said You have nothing in place To defend yourself You have no social Defenses in place I was like okay <laughs> I just sat there like I don't. (laughs) I didn't even know that I did. People were just coming at me, just defenseless, you know. That was a shock. I think that's a normal cult experience, too, you know.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, boundaries are always something so interesting to speak about. And they don't have to be like these harsh things, either. It's just like I think Mm -hmm. sometimes when we think of boundaries, it feels like for me, it just feels so strict and like, like rigid, like, like, oh, there's my boundary. And it just kind of makes me like scared, even when I use that word. Mm -hmm. But I just think of like, like, again, just going back within ourselves. And does this feel right, right now? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't feel right, then it's a no. It's just a no. It's not even about a boundary. It's like, If somebody asks me to do something, whatever it is, or even in any way, if I just don't feel right about it, then okay, not now. It doesn't have to be like forever. It's just like, no, not now.
0: Right. And that's okay. Yes. Because this absolutism is no longer applicable. We don't have to all agree. And I like your tone in this so much. It's like, well, yeah, (laughs) we don't have to. That, that acceptance just sheer acceptance like this is just how it is right I, I love that but where can we find you besides uh the next article and the book is there a website or your twitter is best
1: yeah maybe just tamara mc phd and you can look on pretty much any social and find me there correct <laughs> and you can always send me a message on twitter um great um, I'm not leaving unless I'm (laughs) kicked out. So, Well,
0: Um, ain't (laughs) going (laughs) to happen. Sorry, Elon. She's there
1: to stay. (laughs) And I was never, I'm not like, I I just got onto Twitter recently. So it's not like I'm this person that's built up my Twitter account in any way. Mm -hmm, But I do mm -hmm. find it an easy way for people to message you and to build community which, which I really do enjoy. but And there's yeah, a lot of writers on Twitter. You're please fabulous. reach out if, you, if anybody listening has a question. Find me on Twitter or on other social media. Send me a message. Um, absolutely.
0: Dr. Tamara, it's been so good to finally catch up with you after several months of back and forth. Thank you for being our guest here today.
1: Thank you so much, Frankie. Thank you to everyone. Have a great
0: evening, if it's evening. Cults, mind control, sexuality in society. These are the topics for the Frankie Files. I also have periodic interviews of experts and survivors. Facing my own story by writing my memoir was the beginning of finding my voice. Well, I found it. I'll explore multiple writers and articles on these topics new each Tuesday. Listen in. Oh, and I promise not to waste your time. Cults, mind control, sexuality, in society. These are the topics for the Frankie Files. I also have periodic interviews of experts and survivors. Facing my own story by writing my memoir was the beginning of finding my voice. Well, I found it. I'll explore multiple writers and articles on these topics new each Tuesday. Listen in. Oh, and I promise not to waste your time.